Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, Point of Light. A lot happened. <laughs> a lot happened, yes. Some might say too much, but not me. I certainly think there were pacing issues, but I think that pacing issues are very disco. I have I have come to accept that pacing is just going to be a uh, an Achilles heel of discovery. This was definitely a setup episode. Like they're introducing a whole bunch of new stuff that is related to the central plot that has been introduced, but goes off in its own little byways and 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 so there's lots of hanging threads. Yeah, nothing's really resolved. Nothing's resolved by the end. They're moving pieces around the board, but they're not actually going anywhere. Which is the kind of... Like, I, those episodes make me really excited. I almost always like the penultimate episode of a season more than the finale. Like how The Best of Both Worlds Part 1 is by far better than Part 2. Yes, exactly. Because there's just so much drama <laughs> involved in these kinds of uh, moving set piece plot lines. So as much as I was, well, that was okay on the last one, I was <laughs> thrilled with this one, and everybody online was like, well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> so, so I, which was 100% what I was expecting. <laughs> Almost from the, you know, the Klingons are coming back. Uh, yes reveal i was like oh so it's an episode for me that everyone else is going to be against i get it honestly for me it felt like the last two episodes were playing it quite safe they were very traditional in their pacing and their approach to star trek and now we're just back into pure discovery crack and i'm so happy (laughs) yes it's what i love best about discovery you never know where it's going to go well, I certainly wasn't expecting surprise babies. I, I know. Like, okay, more than one person has said, well, wait a minute, this episode was like um, one of your fan fictions. Like, not just fan fiction general, specifically one of mine. Because I love to give people secret babies. <laughs> like, secret babies are the best kinds of babies. It was very exciting. I was just like, this is, this is <laughs> like my subconscious wrote this entire plot line. It was amazing. It spoke so strongly to my id that I'm really sad that I don't really ship um, Tyler and Lorel because I would be so here for it if they were characters that I had been into from the start. Give them 20 years maybe and then I can ship them, but they're, they're so young, I can't do it now. They are very young, um, which for me, it's like, I don't really, I ship everybody. So I ship I them in that I ship everybody. But I ship everybody because because... Like, unhealthy is my favorite thing. <laughs> so they have a, re- a terribly unhealthy relationship, and that's what makes it interesting. And so adding a baby <laughs> into their already completely unhealthy and, like, bonkers, how, can, how will you ever get back to a normal relationship, you know, at this point, when they are so young, and then shipping him off to the monks, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> This is the most amazing plotline. This is so exciting. Uh, you know, that could go in so many different ways. If we never see the baby again, like, it's okay because it still affects so many things. There's so many ripples. And 
if we do see the baby again, like that, that, like that can come in any, many different ways. And it's just, it's so exciting. Well, certainly Rivendell Rose on Dreamwidth has calculated the timeline and worked out that we may in fact have already seen the baby again being killed by Dax and three elderly Klingons in Deep Space Nine. Yes, I, I have, I've seen that a lot and I think it's great. I, I love connecting Discovery's Klingons to any Klingons that have, have been seen, you know, and making a through line from Discovery through the original series and then into Deep Space Nine, like that's some really nice storytelling right there and and then giving like context so to the more context to the albino and that whole storyline is really yeah. exciting to me and the 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 idea that he goes off to the monks is all well and good but i don't believe that's where he stays and there was moments toward the end there the way that Giorgio was acting and the way that she was talking about <laughs> collecting misfits and and I was just like oh so Giorgio is gonna go get the baby from the monks and secretly raise him as her own so that's my personal pet theory that I'm gonna go with until until proven otherwise either that or she's just keeping him around for when she needs a snack <laughs> yeah, well one or the other you know yeah. I, I but you know she would see the uh, the potential for oh I can turn this into yes. a weapon so and, uh, you know she's she's done that before she has some experience but maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves should we break down <laughs> yes that's like the end but you know I, I just really like the baby okay I have some opinions about the prop they used but we can get to that. <laughs> Uh, Maybe we should break down the separate plot lines, because there was so much. There was so much. So on the one hand, we have the Klingon business. Then we have the separate soap opera that is Spock and his family (laughs) and Amanda arriving on Discovery. Yep. And then we have some mycelial spore shenanigans with Tilly and May. And then finally we have Section 31 and the sort of... I don't want to say backdoor pilot for the Section 31 spin-off series, but I've seen it. I I think it was too small to be that, but we definitely know what they're doing in the 23rd century right now and what their goals are. And they have a cast of three, at least. So Yeah, they've got a whole ship. They're ready. Yeah. The ship does look like it may have been stolen from the Expanse, but, you know, we'll, we'll... We'll forget that. That's because it's a stealth ship. It can't look. At, it can't look like Starfleet in order to. Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. if it has to be uh, disavowed. So where do we start? We've covered some Klingon stuff, but not all of it. Hang on, I'm looking at our list. Okay. Okay. We have Spock. Dot. 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 A murderer? Question mark. Question mark. So my favorite thing about this Spock is a murderer scene is that. Michael, Amanda, and Pike are all like, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> like, none of them believed it. They were very, like, so, no. So obviously something else is going on. And to be fair, that guy was super shady. He, you know, he had, he's been dodging Pike's phone calls for a while, and he was just like, yeah, I can't really tell you anything. Uh, he's like a criminal now. He's uh, you know he's he's killing people. So oh, gotta go. Normally, it bugs me when a character is accused of something terrible, and the 
his friends and family are like, there's just no way. But we know Spock. Like, the audience is in the same position. We know who he is as a person. And we also know that in 10 years' time, his career is going to be A-OK. Right. Yeah. Obviously, it hasn't been derailed by murder. Maybe he killed some people. Maybe he didn't. But it clearly wasn't his fault. Right. And there's clearly more to the whole story. Yeah. Why is Starfleet being so secretive about it? Why won't they let Amanda in and uh, won't speak to Pike? It, 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 like, there is something strange going on. There is. Especially if Pike has, you know, submitted in- intel that Spock is related to Mission. Yeah, if, if he needs to know what's going on. It's it's strange that, that he's not... That he's, they're keeping Spock out of, away from the people who want to bring him into the loop. It's all, it's all something strange is going on there. I've been saying that uh, that this episode of Star Trek was like a mashup of all the other things I watch on uh, TV. Yes. So I've been calling the the Klingons are very clearly Game of Thrones. <laughs> they're like yes. Kronos is the new Westeros over there. The Section 31 stuff is like a Nikita kind of thing going on. I mean, they're Section 1 and Section 31. I, I'm, not, I'm not that clever. <laughs> so the, the Spock stuff and the Tilly stuff are both a lot. This is a compliment. I'm just going to put it out there before I get yelled at. Mm. Uh, the plots this week reminded me of Riverdale. <laughs> And that they were completely ridiculous, had nothing to do with anything that had already happened, and they kept revealing stuff that's like, oh, you think you know Spock, but actually he's a murderer. <laughs> like, and and the whole, like, Michael did something to, and we, we've, you know, she's been hinting at this falling out with Spock for a while, but it has to do with her, you know, she had to protect him from the logic extremist, but but in order to do that, she had to do something really, really horrible that she's not going to tell anyone about. Like, it was it was just very teen melodrama. And at one point, Michael even says, you know, what was the line exactly that uh, she tells Tilly? Uh, Show me a teenage girl who never cried. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, yeah. nice shout out to the teen drama that I'm totally in with you right now. Because Tilly's stuff was all, you know trying to to ace the SATs and and uh, and having to leave because you you can't you can't breathe kind of thing going on so yeah and that that YA plotline of the friend who starts out really good and then turns out to be quite manipulative you know how do you end a friendship right especially when she's living inside you <laughs> which is definitely a twist that <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of my next YA manuscript. <laughs> Copyright Liz, do not steal. <laughs> yeah, that was... I liked that there was so much happening, but I feel like the show that I am very into, other than Discovery these days, is the Star series Counterparts, starring J.K. Simmons and Olivia Williams. And it's basically uh, middle-aged, middle-class white people finding that marriage is really, really complicated and also there are parallel universes. And one of the things it does that I like is that every now and then it will dedicate a whole episode to one side character or one side plot alone and add a lot to the world building. And I kind of wish that Discovery had just given a whole episode to the Klingons. I understand that there would have been riots in fandom. That would have been so... uh unloved 
I just think that there was so much happening in that plot line and I liked it, but I would have liked to see it with a bit more time for a bit more nuance. I can uh, I can see that. I mean, and, and I'll say that, I mean, I'm, the Tilly stuff isn't over, obviously, the no. score stuff, but it was really, she, she went from, you know, I've just realized this person isn't real to I'm having a meltdown on the bridge, like that. And there wasn't as much, I don't know. <laughs> I expected for that that to go on for at least an episode yeah. longer. I thought we were going to get a lot more Battlestar Galactica style scenes of people walking in to find Tilly effectively talking exactly. to herself. But in a way, I'm glad it wrapped up quickly because that is a trope we've seen before, even though I love it. And it just it felt very Tilly that she doesn't tolerate this for very long. That's true. Having said that, it really annoyed me that they got May out without stopping to actually ask what does she want and what is the message she's trying to yeah, convey. Yeah, especially because the um, you know, she May is right in front of her, and um, there she did sort of pause and look at her, yeah. and think about it, and then she was like, "Nope, just just get her out." And it was just like, "Wow, that's that was sudden." I understood it from Tilly's perspective, but I was surprised that no one else, yeah. not Stamets, not Michael not Saru, was even slightly curious. And because May is not actively harming Tilly at this moment, no, nothing, we, it seems like nothing bad could have come from going, okay, before we take you out, do you want to share your yeah. message? And what do you want us to do? And then we're going to get you out of Tilly because we cannot, yeah, it's, we cannot have you living in a Starfleet office. It seemed a little uh, short-sighted. Maybe this is what happens next week, but um, yeah. because if we did see Jet Reno in the uh, in the premiere, she was down there connecting body parts to to uh, consciousness for a few months. So I feel like she could she could you know somehow figure out how to make the spore able to speak with us. Yeah, she can just build May a new body. No drama told her that and it wouldn't be as traumatic for May or Tilly if they had said this is what's going to happen and this is what we're going to do for you and you're still going to get to communicate with us and and but it's going to be better because it's going to be you instead of haunting our friend yeah we're not opposed to making first contact we just want to take out a restraining order between you and Tilly so what did you think of Tilly's Meltdown on the bridge. It was very stressful to watch, but in a good way. And the good way was that whole Star Trek trope of everyone everyone understands that these things happen and sometimes people get possessed and there are going to be no long-term consequences. And sometimes I find that frustrating, but in this instance, it's the only way yeah. to get through it. That's a, that's a good way of, uh, of explaining it. And I think you know, sort it's good for society as a whole to, to be able to see it and, and have there not be long-term consequences because they understand, especially in this same episode where they do have Spock has been having weird possession issues since yes. childhood, apparently, and uh, in, ended up in a, in a mental hospital and then potentially killed people. I like that they had the juxtaposition of Tilly's situation while they were explaining Spock's situation so that it's it's it was like a uh, we're we can we can handle this and we're gonna figure it out and it's not as bad as it seems and so you can now you can relate that to our like twenty first century medicine. 
and outlook, if that makes sense. Where the stigma can last for a really long time, if not forever. Yeah. I also think it's useful to remind the audience that it's not just Spock who has the magic plot armor, that this really goes to everyone. Yeah. They're both going to be okay. It's going to be great. Also, I like that Saru was just like, yeah, like, Pike has a sense of humor. He's not going to hold this against you. Pike's expressions on the bridge were great. Like, he was really concerned and, and, uh, I, I don't know. He's just become really good at being the, the captain, leader, father figure of the ship. Yes, yes. And, and I really appreciate that. That he, he's already showing the same, affection is the wrong word, but I'm going to use it, affection for Tilly as he does for Spock. Yes, well, I think it's cool that he knows he's only temporary, but he hasn't let that stop him from bonding with his new temporary crew. Yeah, and at the very beginning of the uh, episode, he had this scene with Michael that was also, like, really... They've come a long way in in a short time. I just want to say that I think it's disgusting how he's walking around the ship being nice to people. He has no secret agendas. He's he's not being creepy in any way. It's horrible, and I need it to stop. <laughs> I'm sorry that you're... Yeah, I, don't, I don't want him to stop. I want it to continue forever. It's just wonderful. I, I, I'm not used to trusting a captain anymore. <laughs> wow, Lorca really, like, messed with your mind. Let's, let's talk about Amanda. So I was saying, you know, the beginning of, of this run of episodes that I really want Amanda to have her own storyline separate from Sarek, and she's got it. Yep. She, I mean, she was amazing <laughs> when she first arrived and she embraced uh, Michael and whispered into her ear and said, you know, we have to help Spock. I mean, at first I thought, like, she knew something. She knew mm. she knew something more than the rest of us that had, like, that... She was in on Spock's Spockness, Same. whatever whatever's going on with Spock, but um, but no, <laughs> that's uh, it's not quite what happened. But uh, I still think she clearly reads Spock uh, differently and more intimately than uh, than a Sarek and Michael would. Well, I think I think that makes perfect sense. Like they have a very different relationship. I, I like I like the family dynamics of there there is a foursome and and we have I don't know I just I, I like Spock and Amanda on one side and Sarek and Michael on the other side and and trying to figure out how to connect to the other side to you know to each other yes yes and it's not necessarily that all of them have argued or misbehaved in some way it's just that connection is hard to hard to make and I think that feels like a very adult family dynamic absolutely but she also stole Spock's medical records and that is the greatest thing I've ever heard I know I was like oh, oh okay and I loved how she was like the, the only logical thing she was like I can use Vulcan logic and twist it to my own means as well <laughs> as any Vulcan thank you well she's learned from the master I, I mean she was great and then at the end Again, where she was just like, uh, no, I'm just going to go save him. I'm not waiting for anybody else to, uh, to do it for me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm over this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about uh, all of these tricky family dynamics. I'm going to go get my kid, and then we'll figure it all out. She's forgiving but annoyed 
at Michael for driving Spock away. And that feels very realistic. And I'm glad that she's kind, but she's also pissed. Oh, absolutely. And she's like, okay, the only person Spock is going to trust is me. I have to do it myself. <laughs> I love you. But you you deal with your own thing and let me take care of this. <laughs> yeah, which which is, is great where, uh, you know, she came to Discovery specifically to get Michael on her side and, and do it together. And, and as you say, she realizes that that's going to make things worse. So nope, we're, we're just, it just has to be me. I've, I've got to do it. Yeah. And I, uh, I do, I also appreciate that she's allowed to be uh, annoyed at Michael, yes. but also takes the time to, to give her a kiss and be like, you know, I'm, I'm annoyed with you right now, but I don't hate you forever. Unlike a Sarek would do. I was going to say, with the dynamic that Michael has experienced her whole life, I think it must be very reassuring to know that a parent can be displeased with you and still love you forever. Right. And I also, in the in their middle scene, sorry for jumping around all over, but... Mm, um, no, no. It's that sort of episode. I liked how Amanda spoke about, you know, that she... She regrets the way that she raised Spock or the way that she went along with how Spock was raised. Yeah. And everything she was saying, I, you know, I was sort of nodding my head along with because uh, I have some issues with the way that, I don't, know, I don't want to say all of Vulcans because we haven't seen a lot of Vulcan families. We've mostly seen this one Vulcan family. You know, and and to Paul, and you know, Tuvok and his kids are great. Yes, exactly. You know, Tuvok is very openly loving towards his children yeah. in a Vulcan way. Exactly, and we've seen, and we've we've been able to see how he takes care of um, anyone in his care. Yes, and to Paul and her mother had friction, but they, I don't know. It's 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 not about not showing your feelings in that case. It's a, it's a different version of the same Vulcan culture. Whereas Sarek, overcompensating for sure, that he was like, you know, my kids gotta be Vulcans even though they're not Vulcan. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and I also think that he has a lot of baggage from the fact that he enjoys being the ambassador to Earth and that he married a human. Like, I think yes, that he yes. has his own issues and and shame, you know, that uh, over those decisions that, you know, and that he shouldn't, but I can imagine that he does. And that because of his own dealings with his own emotions, he, he reflects that out onto his family as well. I think it's that, but also you look at Spock and biologically in almost every respect he is Vulcan and I assume that extends to his brain chemistry and all of that you know neuroscience stuff so it's probably it was probably a very reasonable and responsible choice to raise him as a Vulcan and 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 that it has turned out to be more complex is not really an indictment of that choice and I think Amanda's guilt it's understandable that she feels it, and I, I understand that it's very common for women to feel guilty about their children's lives not being perfect because we put so much expectations on, on women and mothers. But I don't think that they necessarily made a bad choice. I think the problem is that 
when it became apparent that Spock was more complex than a, a, a pure Vulcan, they didn't change course. And that was Sarek's mistake. I think I agree with that, yes. That they were so set on one course that when things went differently... And this is the... Okay, not to go into Star Wars like I always seem to do, but, but it's related, I swear. Please. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of issues with the Jedi <laughs> Council and the and the and the Jedi Surely and the not. Jedi Order and the way that they do everything basically, but it works for the the Jedi who are raised to be Jedi. I disagree with a lot of what they do, but it works for you know Obi Wan's okay, Qui Gon's okay, Mace Windu are is okay. You know they succeeded at. I think they're unhealthy outlook, but it works for them because they were raised within it and they understand it and they had the foundation to to become what they were supposed to be. It does not work for Anakin because he had something he had a different life. Right. He was he what like they were right when they said he was too old to join them. That was the correct choice. And if they had stuck with that choice, everything could have been okay. But because they tried to make Anakin into a Jedi without giving him the foundation, without ever explaining why he wasn't supposed to talk to his mother, why he couldn't fall in love. Like, they never took the time to give him the lessons that they, they had as children because they were raised within that society. They didn't understand what he was missing when he was missing his mother because they didn't have that. Would you say it's an extreme empathy de- deficit? Yes. Hmm. hmm. Where have I heard that before? So with Spock is in sort of in the same way that they he doesn't he has a, a a different way of doing things, and once they realized that he was responding in different ways, they could of course correct it. They could have tried something else, and it's really hard. Like parenting, as a parent, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> it's really hard. You never know what you're doing. You never know what's if this is the right choice. And you you have to make choices that you don't want to make and then you have to stick with them. And, and But you also have to be willing to say, okay, that was, made, that was the right choice then, but now is different and I have to make another choice now. Yes. Because it, act, it matters more that your child is doing well, that your child is healthy, that your child is happy and thriving than that you made the right choice. Like, it can't be about my choice. It has to be about what my child is responding to. Yes. Like how, they're, how they're surviving the choice. The other thing that bugged me is that Amanda's like, after he saw the Red Angel, Spock became withdrawn and he lost his gentleness. And I'm like, maybe that's the Red Angel's fault. Maybe it's because you and Sarek and everyone else was gaslighting him and telling him that what he experienced wasn't real. Have you considered that? <laughs> like, especially because it was like literally the same sentence that she was saying. It was like, we, he told us that it was the Red Angel, but we thought, nah, I can't possibly be the Red Angel, so... So we ignored that, and then he turned into a different person. It's like, I wonder what the connection is. So weird. So hard to say. <laughs> so like, 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 yeah. It's, again, it's really hard, and I can't fault her. I can't fault her for any of the things that happen. I just, I'm, I'm glad to see that she's being not proactive, but uh, in a, a better reactive 
now. Yes. At least she's at least she's being active. I guess that's the best word. She's being active. She's trying to fix things and that's good. And also she's made mistakes, but I think it's really cool that she's being fleshed out as a character because she's always been very idealized in in previous depictions. Yes. And you know, even through the first se- season, you know, she's always exactly what Michael needs which is great and god knows Michael needed an ally last year but I'm glad that she's becoming more complicated yes it's good for everybody complicated women (laughs) so great complicated mothers who are not perfect and who are not vilified for it yes speaking of imperfect mothers hello Jojo (laughs) that's a good segue (laughs) thank you it just popped into my head yeah, she, I mean, she's she's one for entrances, isn't she? She clearly enjoys it. Do you think she was just waiting around, like waiting for her moment? Yes, <laughs> I think she. Well, I think she would have interfered at any point where it seemed like, you know, her mission was going to fail. Oh that, yeah, that Laurel and or Ash were going to actually be hurt, but she was definitely like, I'm going to let them, you know, do their thing. Yeah. And then I'll come and, uh, and... I'm going to wait until I have their attention. Right. I loved her scene with Laurel and, you know, the whole children are parasites and you have to find someone to feed it. That's what I did with my kid. And we... I have to assume that Michael came to her about the same age that she came to Sarek in our universe. So the implication is that at some point Jojo had her own biological child and maybe it didn't survive infancy. I assume that... You know, that happens a Someone lot. Someone murdered it. Yes. <laughs> I think where you're going with this is someone murdered her child. It seems like a safe assumption. Yes. Isn't there still some uh, thread of prime Giorgio had a tragedy in her life that we still haven't learned? That's true, yes. The implication... So... Like, the implication that I took from the premiere was that she at some point had a family and they were killed violently. And... I think all we know is yeah. that she has lost people to violence in something like warfare. But that seems like the safest and most likely explanation. Yeah. And so along with this, uh, Giorgio had a baby at some point. Mm. <laughs> Did bit. I'm, in my head, I'm trying to put it all together. <laughs> Just, you know, because it, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to me that the, I, I like when things connect, especially when it's the, you know, they're supposed to be mirrors. They're supposed to have similar yes. lives and so I like to find the similarities and the differences I mean that's what makes alternate universes interesting I like it because I like uh, characters who have kids and you know their kids are adults and characters in their own right hopefully but there's this you know having children is very common it's it's something most people do and I don't but you know and, and so I, I like seeing that as a facet of someone's otherwise complicated yes. life. I mean, I feel like just for both for the Emperor and for Laurel, because they're in power, I mean, they're not... They both came into power through... I mean, we don't know how the Emperor came into power, but I'm going to assume that they, that she came into power through uh, some kind of coup or assassination. That, that you know. I think that seems very likely. So... You know, they stole power, but if you think of the monarchies in our 
world, they're obsessed with having babies. Like, that's how you retain power, and that's how you retain legacy, and that's how, you know, it's so... I can see Giorgio stealing power and then being like, and now I'm going to have nine children (laughs) so that they, I I will definitely have an heir. And when people start murdering them, I'm going to start stealing kids and, and, uh, and we're going to, you know, I'm still going to have my heir. So, and, and so I can, I can see that happening in the Mm -hmm. horrible universe. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then we have Lorel who, and as you say, it's like, it's too early in her, in her reign to be dealing with these things. I mean, the Klingons are also obsessed with their houses and their and their legacy and their their bloodlines. Yeah, so I, yeah. I mean, in in Next Generation, it's like there's a whole, well, there's all sorts of weird stuff about how people are related and and, and that's how they end up in power. <laughs> so I think it's probably super important for her to have an heir, which is why I think she she makes her speech about how everybody is, you know, she's she's the mother of Klingons now. Yes. Yes. In order to so in order to say like I'm sharing my power with all of you, you're all my children and you're all my heirs and you're my legacy and that, that's you know that's that's a a strong position for someone who has no power and obviously I mean I it was very uh, Daenerys Targaryen of her it was yes it was also very Elizabeth the first I was very much reminded of the scene in the movie Elizabeth where Kate Blanchett is looking at the iconography of the Virgin Mary and going yes this is the archetype that I need I saw the favorite last month and then I read a bunch of biographies of Queen Anne because I love Queen Anne Teen Anne and she had 17 pregnancies and only one survived to childhood and then he died around the age of 12 and so a lot of her iconography was about being the mother of England. Anne and, and Laurel don't have very much in common, but I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it, was a, it was a really good way. Like this whole, everything, Kling, I loved everything Klingon. And they kept twisting and turning on me and it was really good. I, I just really liked the way that they tied things up in, in a way that kept them very open. I will say that I don't think Laurel and, and Ash are very good at planning, but I don't <laughs> think they have ever been very good at planning. <laughs> that's sort of their MO. Like, that's why I liked them so much at the beginning of the first season is because they were, I mean, they're supposed to be the underdogs. They're like the, you know, we're in the shadows trying to make our plans and we're not really good at it, but... We have a lot of heart, and we're going to do it anyway, you know, so... Well, it's like, they weren't soldiers. They were basically radicalised insurgents who were fighting as much against their own government, such as it was, as, as the Federation. And their plans are all over the place because they're so young and so inexperienced. Like, I assume Laurel is maybe a bit younger than Mary Chifo, so early, mid-twenties. Vogue might be about the same, maybe even a touch younger. Obviously, he's not wearing his own body, so it's hard to say. <laughs> we can't really go by Shazad Latif's age. And so it kind of makes sense that they are at the beginning of their journey. And I'm sure that if Laurel makes it to Giorgio's age, she will be an unstoppable force. But right now, she really just needs yeah. guidance. And luckily, the Emperor is here to give it to her. <laughs> 
too. I liked that Laurel was was you know her that her power slipping away and she and uh, and Ash was like I'm gonna fix it by going to tell Michael and Michael's like I'm gonna fix it by telling I don't know who and they're like okay send Georgia like it was an interesting chain there of how that that all went i i'm actually wondering if if Giorgio was there all along and she has never left chronos because we see a klingon in the background with Lorel's uncle who is wearing the same costume oh, yeah. that Giorgio wears i don't think it's actually michelle yo in the makeup i ca- i do not believe that they would do that to her but i assume that that's meant to be Giorgio. yeah i i will believe that but but she didn't get the go ahead until starfleet said interfere now that's my theory also that scene between ash and michael i really liked the split screen that the one split screen where where it showed both of that i think that was so pretty (laughs) that was an absolutely beautiful shot like this whole episode was gorgeous Oh my gosh, the silly but gorgeous the fire! Like it was very exciting. I will say, I love that Laurel is like, "How dare you say I'm leading a puppet government?" And I'm like, "Honey, <laughs> you, kind of are. you are literally a puppet government." <laughs> but also, I love the shadiness of Section Thirty One, basically treating the Klingon Empire the way the CIA would treat a newly installed right wing government in South America. But on the one hand, replacing the Klingon government, such as it was, with one not necessarily sympathetic to the Federation but not interested in pursuing war right now is a really good choice, both in terms of politics but it's more moral than the alternative of wiping them out. And and so in as much as that level of interference in another nation's politics can be said to be moral, it's it, I guess, is. But at the same time, Laurel is uniting the, the Klingon Empire and building new weapons and new ships. And so in, say, 10 or 20 years, the Federation is going to have this super powerful, super united empire on its doorstep. And it's basically like giving weapons to Osama bin Laden. They're, they're creating their own problem down the line. Yeah, I mean, that's very American of them, I will say. This was my thought at the end of season one. Like, this is the most American conclusion. And, and it, it was great because it did feel like something that would predate the original series and would seem like a terrible idea in the long run and going forward the Federation would not do that again. But I didn't expect it to be this overtly Cold War-esque mm. and American in its politics. And I really love it. I love the space politics and I love the implicit layers of goals and deceptions and self-deceptions with Laurel's insistence that, no, she really is powerful in her own right. <laughs> even though she doesn't even really know how to be powerful. No. She's still learning She's still learning that. She's still trying to figure it all out. Well, so far her mentors are Kat Cornwell and uh, Philippa <laughs> Giorgio. So that's honestly <laughs> terrifying. This is going to end very badly. Or amazing... <laughs> Well, it depends which side you're on. So what do we think of how she looks? I have a lot of problems with her makeup this year. Like, I liked the Klingon design last year, and I don't think it was necessary to give them hair, but they look great with hair overall. They look like 90s-era Klingons with better makeup. But then Laurel is sort of prettied up, and her skin is smoother, her, her scar is less prominent, and this really troubles me. Because why would a Klingon 
She looks like she's had Klingon Botox. But yeah, like, why have they done that? Maybe it's part of it is that she's has more capital, both power and actual money, <laughs> than mm-hmm. she ever has. And so she can. You know the, the Princess Diaries? <laughs> yes. It reminds me a lot of the Princess Diaries in that she got a makeover to make her all pretty and it took away some of her own personality and she has to figure out how to give it back, you know, how to get it back, how to make new Laurel and old Laurel just just one Laurel. Mm. But what, I buy that, but what bugs me is why? Because, you know, last year Cora... Cole is like, you look so much better with that scar. And she's like, yeah, I earned it in battle. And, and you know, Klingon okay. aesthetics are not about prettiness or smooth skin. That is true. So you're saying I can't make it make sense in, uh, in, in the show and I just have to go with the aesthetics of the outs- external people decided to do this? Yeah, is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> and this is... This is ridiculous because I, you know, they redesigned the Klingons. I'm like, okay, those are Klingons. Cool. I'll roll with it. I'm never going to think about it again. But this, and I think it, I think it's because it is just this one specific character. It, it, it's distracting. Though now it's just occurred to me, what if she's had her skin smoothed so that Ash finds her appealing? Aww. They're so sad. I know. <laughs> They're so doomed. And it's just. I mean, the fact that they are never, ever going to make it is what makes me love them so much. Like, the, I ship them way harder than the fact that it is just never going to happen than, than uh, I did. And the, I, this seems to be a good place uh, to maybe bring up the one line about violation. Yes. Because I like yes. that they included that. It was at least a, a, a bone to those of us like me who, who, who really, really had problems with, I mean, I had problems with the fact that Ash went with her in the first place mm. because the way Ash Tyler experienced his sexual relationship with Laurel was, as he says, violation yes and i i was like thank goodness they did include that line like a whole scene would have i would have been more into like exploring that more instead of baby x mocking it but at least they did include it and i think like i have always thought that ash maybe intellectually understood that as vogue he consented to that but he still had the emotional uh, response of feeling it's a violation. And both of those experiences are equally real and valid. And so his trauma continues to be real and valid. And and so I'm glad that it's still an issue. And however much he can be Laurel's ally and support her and be her torchbearer, he still has these moments of he can't. He just can't. And I also like that once he tells Zarell this, she pulls right back. Like, she does, in fact, understand consent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I like that they were, that they brought that, that they said it textually. Like, they, they it wasn't subtext. Yes. And it, it was very clear. So that anybody who said, oh, that wasn't true, that my interpretation was just wrong, and so I should get over it, 
um, it was saying no. <laughs> they they and I agree with you that that it that both sides both things are true. I mean that's what makes Ash so complicated. That's what makes his entire characterization yeah. really sad. Is is that he has all of the memories of both and he doesn't feel fully connected to either. So he's like neither and both at the same time. And that's really confusing <laughs> for anyone. It's not like there's a support group for this. No. Yet. And, and I also can see how if when he saw the baby, he did have a moment of, I feel connected to this. Like, the way he described it, you know, I, I understand mm. why he would, he, why he would cling to that and, and come around and, and make new decisions. Yes. I, like, like, I understand why it would be such a big thing if he finally had that sort of revelation. And I can also understand for someone like Volk who, what it, because Klingons are so obsessed with bloodline, and he was considered less than. Yes to see that his bloodline is now connected to, like, through blood, <laughs> is connected to the highest Klingon in the Empire. Which is wonderful, but also kind of terrifying. And, oh, God, what has he, what has he given to this child and what has he done to Laurel? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on. And, it, it, again, I, 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 I agree with you that I could have, yeah, I, could, I could use more... Of, uh, of all of that, like all this whole storyline could have more meat yes. if, if there weren't four other storylines going on, maybe only three. And I do, but they, there was just so much there and, and it's so rich and it's, ri- you know, I feel like I can think about it for a while and come up with lots of different things to think, you know, to, to sort of sink my teeth into about oh, yeah. what it says about Klingons and Klingon culture and Vogue himself and Ash and Lorel and their relationship and his relationship with Michael and like there's so much there there that it's really very exciting. And I feel really badly for Lorel that now she's isolated. Uh but I do think it was a healthy choice yes. for him to leave. <laughs> really for both of them. Yeah, his presence was holding her back. Absolutely. He was, he was a political distraction she didn't need. Yes. That she is stronger with him supporting her from, the, from afar. <laughs> yes. And he is stronger not on Kronos. <laughs> like, oh yeah. He needs to explore what it means to be Ash. And, as much as I hate to say it, Section 31 is probably a good place for that. Yes. Probably. Is it a good place for anyone? Who can say? And I don't know about reality, but on television, people join intelligence agencies because they (laughs) are running away from something, because their identity is unformed, and they need something to, to give them purpose. So it fits... It's this narrative. I think that is extremely t- true about television, and oh god, I hope it's not true about reality. <laughs> I know. It's like, yikes. Before we move on from the Klingon storyline, can I just say how glad I am that after all these years we finally have canonical extra utero gestation? Yeah. You and I have talked before, usually in the comments to Babyfic, about how frustrating it is that uh, the depiction of childbirth and gestation is so old-fashioned in Star Trek. 
right? It's sh- no one should be suffering in any way. No, <laughs> it should just be, and you know, like this. There's just guys. You have transporters. Like there is so much technology that exists in this world. Yes, and I think one day we are going to have a whole episode about motherhood and and uh, pregnancy in Star Trek, so we can talk about it then. But I'm glad that when a Klingon woman finds herself unexpectedly pregnant in the middle of a war, because apparently Klingon contraceptives are not very good, you know, she <laughs> can just ship the fetus off to Kronos and get on with torturing people. Can we also have an episode about Klingon contraceptives? Yes. Or I guess contraceptives across the Star Trek universe. (laughs) Klingon reproductive organs are powerful warriors and very little can stop them. (laughs) It's it's space opera. That's how it's supposed to be. And this whole episode reminded me that the term space opera was derived from soap opera. So more of that, please. Space politics and secret babies. But space and soap opera came from opera. Over the top, dramatic, everything is, you know, big and beautiful and, and life and death. It's good stuff. Which brings us to our next point on our list, the costumes. Yeah, I mean, okay, so the Klingon costumes were all intense. They were. The thing that Lorel wears at the end that's like metal feathers on her head. Amazing. Whatever that is. Is so amazing. And her, and her, you know, big black button. I, the plunging necklines don't really do it for me on Laurel. Maybe it's because there's, 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 it doesn't look like a prosthetic at all, but there is just so much prosthetic showing. Yes. That it's, that it, it's distracting. It's a bit distracting. Yes. I love the dress though, because the dress looks like, and I, I mean this in the, the 70s musical genre sense, it's so disco. <laughs> yes. It's shiny. The it's gold. Flowing. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's it's great. And so, oh, it's a great look. All of her looks, she wears like at least three, are, are, are great. But I like that in the end she's like, I'm going to be commanding, I'm going to wear armor on my head, and I'm going to wear this like dramatic black full-on, uh, you know, not being sexy lady outfit yes <laughs> to uh, address everybody as the i am i am super in power and i look i murdered people for you Laurel. i know i know you compared her to, to daenerys but for me that was her cersei lannister in her black leather armored dress and her crown taking the iron throne oh yeah i can and yeah i think Laurel is almost as good at planning as cersei Well, I mean, Cersei doesn't watch. Cersei just wants to burn the world. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Laurel at least seems to not want everything to be destroyed. No, Laurel has a great ambition. Laurel, Laurel wants it to, the Klingons to survive. Cersei, <laughs> she doesn't care. Yeah. But also, uh, Amanda was the most subdued we'd ever seen her. <laughs> she looked tired. It makes sense because she is very, you know, this was, uh, she's, on a mission, um, she is, is distracted by all the family drama. Uh, she does look tired and, you know, but it was almost, you know, like a morning outfit. 
Though I liked that she was wearing the cowl because uh, Winona Ryder does. Yes. <laughs> and, and so I was like, oh yeah, We're, you're rocking your cowl. I like it. It's good. And the cape part uh, had the same cut as the cape that she wears at the end of season one. So that, yes. that, was, that was like Amanda pulling off her amazing style throughout. Just quietly. Callie. Hello, kitten. <laughs> Speaking of capes, I tweeted when the first promo pictures came out, look at all these capes, Gersha Phillips fills needs I didn't know I had. And then it turns out that every single character with a cape is actually a parent. Even Laurel has that big sweeping cape at the end. And I'm like, is, is Gersha telling us that parents are superheroes? Because I, I can see that. You know, that seems like a reasonable link. But now I'm going to be eyeing suspiciously anyone else who turns up wearing a cape. Yeah. Yeah, I like how gothic Lorel looked in her first scene with the with the fire and like the the you know Dracula <laughs> thing going on. I was like, wow, they are leaning all the way in. This is yeah. great. I must say, and I'm sorry we're back to the Klingon episode, uh, the Klingon plotline again, but I think we're about to wrap up. I missed a lot of dialogue this week. Why does Ash wipe off Kolshar's makeup? I don't remember. I, I was distracted by the different colours of Klingon blood. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so, I, so I, which was it a fun detail? So yeah, I remember. I remember him looking at the his fingers. And... Yeah, he does this whole Lady Macbeth routine, and it's quite great. Yeah, right. Because last last year, Laurel wanted to be Lady Macbeth, and instead, I guess she's Duncan now. <laughs> uh, no, you're the one with the theatre background. <laughs> I I like that. I mean, yeah, it it's because they've switched places, you know, mm. because. She was being Lady Macbeth to, for him, and now he's, you know, they, he's the torchbearer for her and supporting her. And he's the one who takes responsibility for their child and, you know. Yeah. In as much as leaving him with monks can be said to be. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, if your choices are leave him with Klingon monks or take the Klingon infant onto the secret... Federation Black Ops ship. <laughs> Which would you choose? Uh, obviously, I would give the child to Sarek to raise. <laughs> okay, that is a great AU that definitely happened in one universe. Cannot possibly go <laughs> wrong. Oh my gosh. Amanda would be like, we are in the middle of a crisis. We can't take this baby. And Sarek's like, I'll take the baby. You go deal with the other children. And I, I'm going to start over and try again. It's my Klingon baby and I love it. I will teach it so much logic. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. That's so good. Okay. Yes. <laughs> We cannot possibly top this. Let's wrap up. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is that's the best. Okay, oh, I have to stop. I have tears. I'm laughing at my own joke. It's so good. Sarah definitely would raise that Cleon baby to be the best Vulcan ever. He'd be like, you know, logic dictates that I should rip off your head and eat your heart. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Anti-Metapod. You can rate and review us on iTunes. Five-star reviews help make us visible to the algorithm that rules everyone's lives. You cannot support us on Patreon or like us on Facebook, but you can find us online at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. We are coming soon to Twitter. Please send vaguely positive thoughts in our direction and join us next week for more discovery and more terrible jokes about Sarek's equally terrible parenting. 